Good morning. My name is Jason Barris. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. It's a joy to be able to bring God's word to you again this morning. Have you had the experience of meeting a set of twins, identical twins, and then trying to figure out which one is which the next time you meet them? My older brother and I look very similar. We've been asked on many occasions whether we were twins. And my wife's sister, her younger sister, also looks similar to her. At our wedding, we had the fun experience of my wife's Chinese family coming into town and my very white American family coming into town. And some members of our family who hadn't yet met Bev, confusing her sister Jenny for Bev, going up to her very excited, saying, it's so good to meet you. I'm so excited about your wedding. And Jenny having to say, well, actually, I'm not Bev, I'm I'm Jenny. And the same thing happening with Bev's family and friends who were mostly all Asian or Chinese, coming up to my brother and being excited to meet him and saying, I'm so excited about your wedding. And my brother having to say, actually, I'm, I'm Josh, I'm not Jason, but it's good to meet you too. And it led always to that crucial question you have in these situations. How do you tell them apart? How do you tell the difference, right? I had friends at a church that I was a member of who were twins, and I couldn't tell them apart until I finally realized one of them wore glasses all the time and the other one wore contacts. That was very easy. How, how did I eventually tell them apart? Well, I got to know them. And as you get to know the person, little by little, you can tell the difference between that person and the other. I think similar things can happen to us at Redeemer on a Friday morning as we're getting to know people of other cultures. Has that happened to you? It's happened to me. I've been confused for Jeff Baker and Kelly Weens. Sometimes on the same Friday... Those bald, white North Americans all look alike. (laughs) Situations like this are funny, or at worst, embarrassing. But in our passage this morning, we see another more serious confusion, that of confusing foolishness for wisdom. And this mistake is not funny. And it will lead to disastrous consequences. For the fact of the matter is, if you cannot recognize true wisdom, you are in danger of being led astray. Our text this morning speaks of true wisdom, the wisdom that comes from God. And the passage teaches us how to recognize such wisdom from foolishness. I hope this morning as we look at this text, that we all honestly assess our own lives in light of God's word. I also hope that we are helped to identify those around us in this congregation who are wise, so that we might learn from them. But even more than that, my hope is that we would see Jesus as beautiful. For as God's Word tells us, Jesus is the very wisdom of God revealed to us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we open God's Word together. Father, we pray that you would grant us a measure of wisdom from your Holy Spirit this morning to understand your word. 
pray that we would find it to be a, a lamp for our feet and a light for our paths. Give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of you. And Father, give me clarity of mind and of word to communicate truth, to communicate wisdom from you for the good of your people this morning. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. We're in the middle of a study on the biblical book of James. One that we've been going through piecemeal over the last couple of years. James was a leader in the early church, the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. He wrote this letter to Christians in the very early days of the church, encouraging those believers to persevere in their trials and to live lives together that would honor God. We saw last week the power of our words. This morning we'll be looking at the importance of wisdom. And next week we'll finish this series considering the dangers of worldliness. And as we're studying the text this morning, we'll be looking at three points. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give them to you now. Three points. Number one, demonstrating wisdom. Number two, demonic wisdom. And number three, divine wisdom. Demonstrating wisdom demonic wisdom, and divine wisdom. Let's look, first of all, at the test of true wisdom. That is, how it is that wisdom is demonstrated. Let's read verse 13 together one more time. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works. In the meekness of wisdom. Who is wise in understanding? This language should remind you of the book of Proverbs. Read through the the first nine chapters of Proverbs and notice how many times you find these two words used together. Proverbs 3.13 Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Proverbs 4.5 Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Proverbs 4.7 The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get understanding. Scripture holds up wisdom and understanding as of the utmost importance. And what is wisdom and understanding? Well, ultimately, wisdom and understanding is the ability to understand what is true about God, about ourselves, about the world that He's created, and how it is that we can relate to Him and relate to one another in a way that would be honoring to Him and reflect Him. And what does the wise man look like, the understanding person in Scripture? The wise person listens and learns. The wise person is thankful for correction and accepts rebuke because it means an opportunity to grow. The idea of understanding is to have a firm grasp on what is true. Wisdom is the ability to not only see the truth, but to see how to apply it to life. So wisdom is ultimately skill and the ability to live rightly. 
In contrast to wisdom in the book of Proverbs is foolishness. Contrast to the wise person is the fool. The fool in Proverbs is proud. He will not listen and he never learns. The fool is always failing in life but never learning from his mistakes. The fool is wise in his own eyes and will not receive correction or instruction from anyone. I wonder, how does this idea of wisdom seem to you? Do you see it as important? Of the utmost importance as Scripture does? I was thinking this week, how many other things do we think are much more important than wisdom? Money. Success. Power. Respect. Comfort. Security. Proverbs 3, verses 13 to 15 says this, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. It is possible to have all of the things that this world holds up as important, money, power, success according to this world's standards, and yet never know God. Why does wisdom matter? Because by wisdom we can come to know God, our Creator, and be able to enter into a relationship with Him. And the problem for us is that wisdom doesn't come naturally to us. In fact, Scripture tells us that what comes naturally to us is actually foolishness because we are fallen, because we are sinners. Proverbs 14.12 says there's a way that appears right to a man, seems to be right, but its end is the way to death. The fact that James even asks this question, who is wise and understanding, means that it's possible to get the answer wrong, to think we are wise when we are actually fools, to listen to the wrong people. Proverbs 3 warns of being wise in your own eyes, thinking you have wisdom when you're actually a fool. What practical purpose... Does a question like this serve? Who is wise and understanding among you? It's an interesting question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who are the wise and understanding ones in our midst? Well, I can think of at least three purposes. The first is, obviously, self-evaluation. To find out whether or not you are wise. But also... So that you can evaluate whether a person is worthy of being a teacher and a leader, worthy of being listened to. And also to know who are the ones to look up to, to be mentored by and discipled by in the congregation. I want to say one thing to you before we move on to thinking through how this applies to our lives. I was considering that there might be some here today who would even admit that wisdom might be a good thing to have. 
But perhaps you think, well, it's optional. I'm just a regular person, just a regular guy, a regular girl. I'm not going to be a leader or an elder. I'm not trying to be a super Christian. don't want to be wise. I just want to get by. Yeah, I want to be saved, but I'm not too concerned about living a life that's perfectly wise. Maybe you think of this as just an exercise to recognize who should be my pastor and then move on. What does wisdom have to do with me? Well, the fact of the matter is, according to Scripture, wisdom characterizes those who know God and who have been known by God. Ultimately, the fool doesn't know God. So let me encourage you, as the writer of the Proverbs does, get wisdom. Be concerned with becoming wise, with knowing God as he truly is. So what is this test of wisdom? How is it that wisdom is demonstrated? Well, look at what verse 13 says. By his conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom is shown, just as true faith is shown in chapter 2, by the life, by our works, by our actions. True wisdom is demonstrated in a changed life. It isn't proven by how well you speak or how much you know, but by how well you live out what you know. True wisdom is made evident by a person's life. Who is wise? It's possible that James here is calling out those who might think that they are worthy of positions of power and authority in the church so that they would listen up, thinking that they are. And then he tells them, prove it, not by how well you can speak, but by how well you can live. And the character trait of wisdom that he holds out in this verse is that of meekness. One that might not have been obvious to the average person considering wisdom. Meekness is a humility and a gentleness of character caused by a proper fear of the Lord. A proper understanding of how we stand in relationship to God. Those who are meek entrust themselves and their lives to God. Not seeking to control it. To force themselves on others or on this life. What's interesting is that this word meekness is a Greek word, but the idea wasn't regarded as a good thing by the Greeks. They didn't see it as a virtue. They saw it as something to be critical of. They perceived it as weakness, to be servant-like, which was below their standards of manliness. Manliness, according to the Greeks, had, to, had more to do with being forceful and confident, even boastful. James says true wisdom that comes from God, though, is meek, self-controlled, humble. As we're considering how this applies to our lives, realize that wisdom begins with a changed heart. A changed heart that comes from proper knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
So let me ask you this morning, are you characterized by the humility and meekness that comes from seeing God and yourself in relationship to God? That leads us to our second point this morning, demonic wisdom. Demonic wisdom. Read verses 14 to 16 with me again. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. I believe James is connecting this section with the one that we heard preached last week. That on the tongue and on words from James 3, 1 through 12. It might be possible by reading that whole section about the tongue and how difficult it is to control the tongue that you would conclude, well, who should be the leaders in the church? Who are those are wise? Are those that are wise? Well, it's the good talkers. The ones who appear to have control on their words. You could read that passage and assume, well, it's the witty people, the funny people, the talented people, the charismatic ones, the ones with a gift for language and for using words, perhaps even those that have a sharp tongue, who are fun to listen to, like a talk show. Those are the wise ones. Look, they have control over their words, or at least they appear to. The problem is it's possible to have control over your words like an actor, to sound good in public, but to be a fool, to be fake. How do we recognize those who are truly wise and worthy of being listened to? Well, you don't look simply at their words, but at their lives. According to this section, we see the source of demonic wisdom, the heart of demonic wisdom, and the fruit of demonic wisdom. Look first at the source of this so-called wisdom. He says this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. That is, this isn't wisdom from God, that wisdom that comes down from heaven. It might appear to be, but it's actually earthly from this fallen world. It's unspiritual, not from the Holy Spirit. And demonic, that is, has its source from the wisdom of the demons, which is against God. 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 talks about a wisdom that appears to be wisdom, the wisdom of this world, that actually despises God's wisdom and sees it as foolishness including the cross, which we as Christians see as the height of God's wisdom. The source comes from Satan and his demons, those that are against God and are the enemies of God and are leading people astray. And look what's at the heart of this demonic wisdom. He says in verse 14, if you have bitter jealousy, and selfish ambition in your hearts. 
He says the same thing in verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. There is a wisdom of this world that might appear as wisdom but is full of envy. Envious of others' position. Concerned with advancing ourselves. There are those who would want to lead. To be perceived as worthy of respect, who should not be listened to because they're only about advancing themselves and their own cause. And then we see the the fruit of demonic wisdom. The fruit of demonic wisdom. You see it there in verse 16. For where such jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Those that have such a heart, who don't have true wisdom, are characterized by fights. Fights are going on around them. Disagreements, disputes, arguments. And every vile practice. There is, in such earthly wisdom, a self-centeredness and self-focus that looks like Satan himself. We read in the Old Testament of how Satan was created as an angel of light to worship God and delight in Him. Satan decided rather than worshiping God, he himself wanted to be worshipped. He wanted people to delight in in Him and in His beauty. He decided, I am the most important. I should be worshipped. I should be the center of attention. You see, even in the church itself, there are going to be those who have some understanding of truth, but their only interest in that truth is advancing their own cause, advancing their own power in the church, having things their way. There is a difference between understanding truth and having some knowledge of God, and yet knowledge as it should be, proper knowledge. There are those who might know things about God, but not truly know God. And they are dangerous to the church. James says the one who thinks he is wise, but is full of jealousy, shouldn't boast and be false. For he isn't actually wise. See, a knowledge of the truth that that ends in the mind with a simple understanding, but doesn't affect the heart and lead to life change isn't wisdom at all, but foolishness. Those who are not wise have no business boasting. It's interesting, it reminds me of the passage in Isaiah where God says, let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. And the irony is, those who truly know God have nothing to boast about. So let me ask an application question. What characterizes your life this morning? Is your life characterized by fights and disputes? By disagreements and misunderstandings? Are you regularly advancing your own cause against others? Are you willing to trample others to get what you want? How much time do you spend thinking about yourself? 
your own affairs, your own advancement. Such wisdom is not from God, but is from Satan. Let me also ask this. Who do you look up to? Who do you respect? Depending on who we are and even perhaps the culture that we're a part of, we might respect people for different reasons. Some cultures respect people just because of their age. We know from Scripture that just because someone is old doesn't mean that they're wise. There are old fools just as there are old wise people. Perhaps you respect someone who is married and you despise single people. Well, the early church had young pastors like Timothy and Titus who were worthy of respect, though they were young. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy not to let anyone despise his youth because he had wisdom and he should be listened to. Do you respect those who seem cool in the eyes of this world? The Proverbs tells us to be pursuing those who are old and wise and listening to them. Those that we should consider as cool and worthy of respect are those that have true wisdom. Not those who are simply charismatic and self-centered. Those who have nice clothes and carry themselves well. Let me make one last application in this point. What do you fill your mind with during your week? What do you listen to? What music, movies, television shows, soap operas do you watch and fill your mind with? There might be a certain kind of wisdom in much that this world has to offer us. But if you fill your mind with such wisdom, it's going to be difficult for you to actually discern what is truly wise, to actually hear wisdom from God. This leads us to our third point this morning. Divine wisdom. Divine wisdom. That is wisdom that comes from God. Read verses 17 and 18 with me one more time. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James now shows us what true wisdom looks like, the wisdom that is from above, that is from God. Notice that that wisdom doesn't come from us. It isn't natural to us. It doesn't come by searching our own souls. It comes from God. Wisdom never comes naturally to us. Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, though the rod of discipline drives it far from him. We aren't born wise. We are born foolish. But we can be wise if we listen to God. We saw back in verse 13 that the heart of divine wisdom is meekness. 
A humility that trusts God and realizes our inability to control life. And this meekness leads to a life of wisdom that is characterized by fruits, by evidences. And then he begins to list such fruits. This list should remind us of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And even the qualifications of the elder and the deacon in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. Those who are wise have lives that look like God. Look at how he begins. First, pure. The wisdom that comes from God doesn't defend our sin, use our intelligence to excuse ourselves, prove ourselves right. No, the wisdom from God is pure, blameless, like Christ. Second, he says, peaceable, gentle, and open to reason. The wise person is peaceable, that is, not picking fights, characterized by peace and by promoting peace. He says gentle as well, meaning kind in their relationships, not harsh. Open to reason has to do with a willingness to see another person's perspective. Though the truly wise person will not yield in matters of truth and doctrine, yet people, with people, they are always patient and not quick to judge. They're quick to listen and hear and understand another. He then lists two more attributes, full of mercy and good fruits. Shows a concern for others. A desire to show love to others. Thinking of others more than you think of yourself. Different than the self-advancement of such demonic wisdom. Divine wisdom is full of mercy. And lastly, impartial and sincere. Impartial means not biased or quick to choose sides in a disagreement. Those that are partial would be quick to choose a friend's side against another person without actually finding out what's behind the disagreement. Sincere means genuine, that is, not putting on a show, but real. And demonstrating an actual soft heart underneath. And then he concludes in verse 18 by showing the future, the The final end of such divine wisdom starts with meekness and humility. It leads to a life full of these good fruits. And what is the future of such wisdom? A harvest of righteousness, which is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness that comes from a life of peacemaking. This reminds us of Jesus in the, the Sermon on the Mount where he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, those who are characterized by making peace with others. It says, For they will be called sons of God. That is literally like God. We realize this list finds its ultimate fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 
chapter 1, is the wisdom of God revealed to us. In other words, do you want to know wisdom? Do you want to know what it is that wisdom looks like? Look at Jesus. Jesus is wisdom lived out. Wisdom from God Himself in a life here on earth. A life given to show mercy to others. And what did Jesus come to do? Well, He came to be a peacemaker. He came to bring us peace with God. You see, the Bible says that we are characterized not by peace, but by wrath. That we, when we were born, because now we are in a fallen world and sinners by nature, we are born as children of wrath that is born in rebellion against God and deserving of His just punishment. Separation from Him forever. What Jesus did when He came to earth was to bring peace. That is, to restore this relationship that had been separated between God and sinful humanity. What He did in His perfect life and in His death on the cross was to bring perfect peace, ultimate peace between God and His people. Jesus' life was characterized by peace, by love and kindness and gentleness. He says, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For I am meek and lowly of heart. Jesus was the all-powerful God. And yet, here on earth in a human body. And yet he didn't take that power that he had and leverage it to hurt people. But to love them. To heal them to show kindness to them, and to offer in His words and in His death perfect peace, a relationship with God restored. He took upon Himself the wrath that our sins deserved, offering us peace if we would come, admit that we are sinners, admit that we are foolish, and come in faith, trusting in Christ, all that He is, so that we would have such peace. So we've seen in this passage that wisdom comes from God. And we've seen that Jesus is the perfect display of God's wisdom. But a passage like this, I'm sure, leaves all of us realizing our need to grow in wisdom. So how does that happen? How do we grow in wisdom? Well, yes, by listening to God's word by reading it and studying it. But I want to highlight how it is that this happens in the church. Growth and wisdom happens together. It happens together. It happens together with us as a body. There can be a tendency for Christians to take an independent approach to spiritual maturity, to attempt it on our own like we might with any other task we take upon ourselves. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to watch some YouTube videos. Figure it out. Figure it out on my own. But this passage points to the reality that wisdom doesn't come to us independently. 
It comes to us corporately. Growth and wisdom happens together in the community of the local church, the local body. Yes, true wisdom comes from God, but the Bible is clear that wisdom is communicated to us through wise people, wise men, and wise women who know their wise God. The Bible teaches that wisdom ultimately comes from God, but when the Bible asks, how do you get wisdom, the answer is from wise people. Wisdom comes to us from God as his truth is communicated through wise people as they speak the truth and love to one another. Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And our passage shows us how to identify a person who is truly wise, which is an important skill if we are to be growing in wisdom ourselves. Pursuing a fool for wisdom will only achieve you becoming more foolish. Now, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Titus 2, where we see, the book of Titus in chapter 2, where we see Paul laying out a pattern that churches should be working towards as we pursue wisdom together. Look at Titus 2, starting in verse 1. Paul had preached the gospel on this island of Crete, but he had to keep going, and so he left his ministry associate, Titus, behind to be establishing the churches there in Crete and to be appointing elders in each town and helping people to understand how to live lives that are godly, how to live lives together. And then he says this in Titus 2, As for you, Titus, teach... What accords with sound doctrine? Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. The Apostle Paul lays out a pattern in this passage that he wants these young churches to strive for. He tells Titus, as the leader, to be setting an example and training the mature believers in godly living so that they would be able to teach the younger and mature ones also, bringing them along in such wisdom. Older men teaching younger men. How to be sober-minded, self-controlled, sound in faith and love. Older women teaching younger women how to be reverent, how to control their tongues, how to love their husbands and their children. Now, it's always been our desire 
at Redeemer to see this kind of culture of discipleship happen. It's our aim to make disciples of all nations. And that includes evangelism. It includes sharing the gospel. Because it's through this simple gospel message that people become disciples. But we want so much more than a group of immature disciples. We want God's plan that His people would not be foolish, but wise like Him. Each Christian growing in wisdom together as God's Word is central to us and to our relationships. What we want to see is the kind of culture where we are each encouraging one another with wisdom from God by speaking the truth and love to one another as we all are able to grow together in Christ-like wisdom that will lead one day to a harvest of righteousness on that final day. What that means is that if you're here and you're a Christian, you have an opportunity to use whatever gifts and abilities that you have to be an encouragement and a help in this process. Whether you're such a new Christian that it only means pursuing someone who is an older Christian for a discipleship relationship, pursuing small groups and Bible studies here at the church that would encourage you and build deep relationships where you would grow in wisdom from others, or whether it's taking the wisdom that God has given to you and imparting it to others. Sometimes, Those that are older feel they don't have much to offer the younger. It isn't true. If you've walked with God at all, you have wisdom and real experience that can be a benefit to those who are younger in the faith. And what that means is we have to be deliberate in pursuing such relationships where we would be able to impart wisdom, to receive it, and to encourage one another towards Christ, the one who is the wisdom from God. Let's close in prayer. Father, we are prone to being led astray by that which masks itself as true wisdom. Father, we pray that you would be leading us to know wisdom, to recognize those that are wise, to listen to wisdom. And so to live lives that look more and more like you and more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that there would be here at Redeemer a spirit of peace. That we would not be characterized by fights, disagreements, self-centered, self-advancement. But by humility and meekness that looks like Christ. Pray that there would be a unity among us as we are, each one of us, growing in wisdom. So that we would all together not be led astray, but become wise. Truly understanding in the knowledge of you. And so, speaking such wisdom to others and promoting peace with our words. We pray that you would do this among us as only you can by the power of your Holy Spirit, for your honor and glory. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.